In late 2018, it was the darkest time in my life. It had been several months since I had a paycheck. I hadn't had a job since March. And I had one last door open for, for a career and I was starting to take it, but money was tight. And I knew that if I stuck with this new career and new job, eventually things would start to settle financially and we could stay in the same city. But my heart was broken. At that time, it seemed like my ministry career was over. It seemed like this, this life that I had dreamed about and, and this lifestyle I had lived of being a minister for my entire adult life was over. 20 years asking questions, why? Why is it over? And, and maybe I made a mistake in the first place. And how do I start over? I'm almost 40 years old. And the, that year had started out as a new adventure of finding what's next for Marie and I and what's our next ministry role. And it turned out to be an absolute disaster. I was disoriented. I was questioning God. It felt like the barn of my life was burning and all I could do was just stand there. And it, was, it felt so helpless. There was nothing I could do about it and there was no relief and I, I kept looking around me to like figure out a way to like just unload all this junk that I was carrying in my heart. I was angry. This was not how my life was planned to go, and it was going in the complete opposite direction. In fact, at one point, I woke up having a panic attack. I didn't know what the symptoms were. I didn't know what was going on with my body. Because I had worked to present this calm and joyful attitude on the, on the surface. You know, it's going to be okay. I was just pulling myself up by the bootstraps. But inside, my guts were churning. And all that anxiety had to get out somehow. And while I was asleep, my body just took over to release all those things, all, all the junk in my brain and, and my heart. Uh, my body just took over to help me release some of that anxiety. And in those moments, I was just looking around for, for like some knight on shining armor to come and rescue me or some, some uh, turn of events because the movie of my life wasn't going, uh, going towards a happy ending at all. And in movies, we love happy endings. In entertainment and sports, we love that last second moment where, where the, the light switch flips on and everything that was so dark and heavy all of a sudden flips on a dime. In sports, and if you're in the L.A. area, you're thinking of Kobe Bryant or going back a little bit further, Kurt Gibson hitting that, that winning shot, hitting the, the home run in the ninth inning. Uh, if you're a movie fan, like it's it's that moment where the Death Star is finally destroyed. And yes, that is a shout out to you Star Wars fans. And there's going to be a little bit more for you today. Yes, Star Wars on Easter. We love it when someone rushes in and saves the day, uh, snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. But the reality is we live in a world where that doesn't always happen. And uh, if you're here with us this morning, you are, you are alive in an age where a lot of us have carried some really heavy stuff around in our hearts, in our minds, and even in our bodies for a long, long time. 
There's people gathered with us this morning that have experienced personal tragedies just in in the recent past. Divorce, disappointment with with kids, uh, like like me, job loss a couple of years ago, or, or just crushing health problems. And added on top of that, we've dealt with just the global dysfunction viruses, wars, uh, disparity between the way people are treated. We have these values for how human beings should be treated. And then we've come face to face with the reality that it's just not fair. There's corruption in our society. We're hearing about moral failures of, of celebrities, politicians, religious leaders, uh, poverty. Often it feels like when we wake up and, and look at the news and look at what's going on around us, we realize that this thing seems like it's hopelessly broken. And when it feels like that, it's completely natural to look around and, and reach out with our hearts for that moment that changes everything. So on Easter Sunday, I'd like to start out uh, our, our, our search in the scriptures in an unusual place. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Navigate there, and as always, our, our notes are up on the Version Bible app. But I want to read this verse to you in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, I want to start here on purpose because this is an ancient text. And if you pull a book off of your shelf uh, of, of almost any size, you'll see that there's a, a cover, usually a beautiful cover, and then there's, there's some copyright information because, you know, we all really care about where the book was printed and who the book printed, uh, who, who it was printed by. And sometimes there's a map in there because nobody knows where anything is anymore because we have smartphones. There's, uh, there's a, a lot of times there's a foreword by someone because, well, it sells more books. And then there's an introduction before you even get to the meat of what the book about is about or what the story is about. There's pages and pages of paper. But here in Mark chapter one, I want to point out the fact that back when this was written, paper was extremely expensive. Talk about a luxury item. Think MacBook Pro. Think the best uh, smartphone you can think of. It was extremely precious and extremely rare. So every word needed to count. Space matters. You're cramming ideas onto these pieces of pottery, paper, papyrus, whatever they're written in. And uh, there's this literary device in the Greek and Roman world of, of putting into that first sentence or first paragraph a summary of the whole book. So if you can get the opening line, if we can try to put our hands around the opening line of the Gospel of Mark that we're in today, you can get all of Mark. So for the, the plan for our time together is to unpack this verse line or, or almost word by word, hit a couple of big words in here, and then figure out the implications for the bigger Easter story and also the implications for us today. And I wanna point out it says, in the beginning, the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Well, good news. Uh, gospel is the, the biblical term. It's the, the Greek word euangelion. It's where we get our word evangelist, evangelizing. This good news. What is 
good news. Because good news is, is the English translation, but the word gospel has so much more meat on it. So this is the good news about Jesus, that, that the, the long-awaited Messiah has come to bring eternal life, but it's not just a religious word here. In Paul, in Paul, and in Mark's day, this word gospel was an extremely political word used by the empire of Rome. When, when a gospel came to a town, probably uh, on the far reaches of the empire for sure, it would come with a messenger. And he would say, I have the good news. I have a gospel. But it wasn't what followed, wasn't what those of us who've grown up in the church would assume like this is the good news about Jesus their gospel would come saying hey there's a new caesar that's just been born or this herald would come with the gospel saying a strategic victory has been won for the roman empire listen up everybody listen up everybody the good news is that caesar is king and maybe he defeated somebody guys caesar has defeated octavian and then he would say caesar is lord but to mark He's using this well-known motif, well-known genre of gospeling. And he's saying here that, no, 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 it's not Caesar that's Lord. It's not Caesar that's king. To Mark, Jesus is king. This document that we just have on our cell phones or, or we can go to, to almost any retailer or Amazon and we can, we can get it for a relatively inexpensive price. This document was so precious back then, and it was subversive, going against the norms of the day that everyone knew the formula uh, that, that Caesar is Lord, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Caesar is Lord. And Mark is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is King of Kings. Jesus is Lord of Lords. And for us, the gospel, if we've grown up in church at all, or, or if you've been around Christians, you've heard an abbreviated form of the gospel. And uh, we Westerners, we love to formulize things and condense it and break it down into its smallest parts. And you've probably heard some form of the gospel that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And if you believe in him, you will be saved. And you're going to be saved, not by these things that you do. It's by God's grace. And that when you die, you will go to heaven. And guess what? That is 100% true. But because we've, we've condensed it down, it's missing some information. That part of the good news is true. But the gospel, according to Mark, is so much more than that. There's 16 chapters in this book, and it's all the gospel. The gospel is telling the whole story of Jesus as we, we get in the scriptures, and it's made up of Jesus' words, his deeds, and the resurrection. His people don't come back from the dead. <laughs> the story of, of Jesus defeating death and hell and the grave, that is included in the story. So when Mark is telling the whole story of Jesus or Luke that we find here, Matthew or John, when they're telling the story of Jesus, I think it would be helpful if we made up a word. When they're telling the story of Jesus, they're gospeling. Whenever you're telling the story of Jesus, you are gospeling. Whenever you tell the story of what Jesus has done in your life, you are gospeling. And there is a whole lot going on here 
in Mark's gospel. It really moves fast. And, and starting, if, you, if you're just dropping in to scripture and the first thing that you read is the gospel of Mark. It's like starting at the end of the return of the Jedi with that disturbing party with the Ewoks on Endor. I told you Star Wars fans, there would be something here for you later. If, if that's the first thing you, you see, you see a bunch of these weird like creatures and they're playing all these drums and then there's some like robots around and, and, and there's a party, but what, what's happening? But we get a clue here in, in the first scripture, the first verse in Mark. There's, there's three parallel storylines going on uh, that, are, that are weaving scripture all together. Like in the return of the Jedi, you've got at the same time Han Solo story, Lando Calrissian story, Luke Skywalker story. The end of that movie, Han's fighting with the Ewoks at the same time. Lando's flying around fighting the Empire spaceships and, and Luke's somewhere working out his daddy issues. Well, the Gospel of Mark is doing that. And I want to point out as we get to Easter that there's three stories at work here just in this first verse that help bring out some of the meaning in the Easter story. So those three stories are the Genesis story of creation and then the fall of creation. Uh, the, the whole grand story of, of the, the Hebrews and the nation of Israel and also the story of Rome. So with the first, the first thread here, like we see in the beginning, like this, this to the original readers, this brings back images of Genesis, Eden. There's in the beginning that where there was water, there was a spirit descending like a dove. We see this motif. If you read Mark through these eyes, you see, you know, Jesus getting baptized, and then the dove descends on him, and that can seem to a Western reader. If you just drop in, you're like, a bird landed on his head. But it, it's, it's evoking images way back in Genesis when there was chaos that covered the earth and the spirit of God hovered over the chaos. And we see Jesus after he's baptized later on in Mark that he goes off to be tempted by Satan, just like Adam and Eve were, were tempted by Satan. So there was the creation at the beginning and then it was decreated when Adam and Eve... Uh, fell into sin and now we see that Jesus is recreating he's redoing all the stuff that Adam he's undoing all the stuff that Adam did I've got just maybe one or two more years with my kids reading the Jesus storybook bible and sometimes when you read a, a, a kid's bible the language if it's a really good one pops out and really opens up our understanding and and in the Easter story in my kid's Bible, there's this line that I love, and I love coming back to it so often. It says, in Jesus, God is making all the sad things come untrue. I don't know if that speaks to you, but that speaks to me. I need Jesus to make the sad things in my life, and I'm trusting I'm trusting that Jesus will make the sad things in my life come untrue and make the sad things in this world come untrue. And we see the beginnings of that here in, in the gospel of Mark. But also, Jesus is called the Messiah. This is the story of Israel. Uh, the Messiah, and I love that he uses that word and not uh, Christ here. He's writing to, he's probably a Jewish background writer, and this is a... a, a 
a Jewish concept. They've been waiting for this deliverer that would throw off the shackles of Rome. Uh, that Israel had been oppressed by the Roman Empire. And uh, here we see that, that, well, Christ isn't Jesus' last name, but he's the long-awaited Messiah. And right after this verse, Mark quotes a couple different prophets to give context and telegraphing his move that Jesus is the climax of the story of Israel. Yes, there's implications for you and me about the resurrection and Jesus being raised from the dead, but Jesus is also everything that Israel's story has been pointed to for, through the whole scripture. And then in Rome, Mark uses a cheeky little phrase here. We've already touched on this a little bit. He calls Jesus the, the Messiah and the Son of God. That phrase is used a few times in the Hebrew scriptures, but the Son of God is a big deal in the Roman Empire. When the first readers or listeners heard that, they probably went, ooh, this is gonna get good. Let's grab our popcorn. If Jesus is the Son of God, I can't wait to see what happens with this. I mean, they could just reach into their, their, their coin pouches and pull out uh, an image of Caesar where it's written right there on the, on, the, on the coin, Caesar, Son of God. But for Mark, all of this, this whole creation, this whole God-created universe is about Jesus and not Caesar. Again, very, very countercultural. In fact, it was dangerous. As we'll see today, a lot of people believed that Jesus was King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and they were martyred for their faith. They lost their lives over the concept in this. So now that we have a little bit of background, maybe it was catch up for most of you, it leads us to some important questions. What in the world does this have to do with Easter? And what in the world does this have to do with me? So let's turn to Mark chapter 16, verses one through eight. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go anoint Jesus's body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter. I love that little dig there. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as I told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, Happy Easter, everybody. I don't know if you noticed anything about the tone of Mark there, but in my experience of, of my 40 plus years on life, when I think of Easter, I think of pretty flowers, bright colors, peeps. You got to think about peeps. I don't know how we got from a resurrected Jesus to marshmallowy, sugary. Um, it's, it's a bit of a, a brain stretch for me. But the tone there, they're walking away from the tomb trembling, bewildered, afraid. Let's not miss this. 
that that the immediate reaction wasn't with the benefit of, of hindsight like we have. Like, Jesus is risen. It shook them. They were like, wait a minute. This isn't what we were expecting. And in the first century, the Jewish people, most of them were expecting a resurrection, except for just a couple of the religious sects. They were expecting a resurrection, but it was for all people, and it was going to happen at the end of history. And now they have this supernatural encounter with an angel saying that the resurrection happened for one person, and it happened now. It took a while for them to connect all the dots. I love how the theologian N.T. Wright puts it. He says, Jesus dragged the future into the present and opened up a whole new world in the middle of this one. No one was expecting that. That's why N.T. Wright says, this is the first and most important thing to know about Easter. That this, this thing that we're all searching for, this relief, this extra strength that comes outside of us, because Jesus rose from the dead, he grabbed that future. He went into the future and dragged it into the presence. present. He, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. And, and they were discombobulated. We see with Mary Magdalene in the Gospel of John, she's, she's so distraught and she's weeping in the garden think Eden, and she thinks he's the gardener. There we go again. Even a different, even a different gospel picks up on this, that, that he's the new Adam, and that Jesus is recreating all that's been decreated or uncreated. Jesus is putting the world back together again. Jesus is making all the sad things come untrue. And now, Here in the Gospel of Mark, maybe you have a a little footnote here about verses 9 through 20 that aren't in some of the manuscripts. If you want to nerd out, there's some good stuff in there, and and you can go as far into that rabbit hole as you want. But in in that chunk that we have in our Bibles, most of us have that in our Bibles, I want to point out that Jesus's own disciples, they didn't believe in him until after the resurrection, and they they. They had to see him to really believe it, to wrap their minds around it. And a lot of this to me, as I take a minute and think about it, it makes sense. Jesus was making these claims that he was the son of God. He was making claims that he was the Messiah. And, and they often didn't understand it. One, one, uh, one theologian uh, separates Mark by the disciples' unfolding understanding of who Jesus claimed to be. And at first they thought, whoa, there's something about this person. I'm going to follow them. Oh, he's a great teacher. Whoa, he has power. He's healing people and casting out demons. Whoa, he might be the one that overthrows Rome all the way to, whoa, he was God's son, God in the flesh. But at this point of, of the story, it doesn't make sense to them. They're thinking, This was a Messiah who made all these outlandish claims. Even his family came to him saying, you got to tone this down a little bit. Just come home. Maybe you're working too hard. And on top of that, this person that we grew to love and, and were following was executed by Rome. But they learned that after he was executed, that three days later, the tomb was empty and they saw Jesus face to face. 
These are other different people seeing the same thing. This wasn't some sort of um, hallucination that one person experienced. There's not really such a thing as mass hallucinations. There were witnesses that heard Jesus teach after his resurrection. And as the years went on, they wouldn't recant. Even under the pressure and the threat of death, they didn't recant. And the movement just continued to explode. This irresistible movement of Jesus followers going all over the, the ancient world to the farthest points of the ancient world. And here in Mark 16, 19, the story of Rome comes, comes into, the, into this chunk again too. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and sat at the right hand of God. It says the Lord there. That was in, in, the, in the Roman land, in the ancient Greek, that curious word. It's the proper name of God. And, it, and he was with them, talking to them. Jesus met the, the doubters, even his own friends, right where they were at. The Lord came to them. And the Lord is here with you now, no matter what you're going through. Jesus left the comfort and safety of heaven to come and rescue humanity. And he's here with you now. He's present to you now, offering you that same sense of comfort and peace. This is the point of the resurrection, that Jesus is God, not Caesar, not Rome, not anything else that we can put our, our, our hope in, not any system of, of human beings, of governmental system or, or wealth or any person that we place our hope in. Jesus is God and is the source of hope because he's already defeated anything you and I will ever come up against. That's what this has to do with us. And in our response to that, like if I were to sum up Mark right here, Mark is saying, hey everybody, Jesus is alive. Go tell everybody about it. Like, and, and that's our, our, that Jesus is here. We're not alone. We're looking for somebody to rescue us. Someone has come to rescue us. And skipping forward to the letter of Corinthians, this amazing theologian, Paul, he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Paul is saying, okay, if this isn't true, yeah, we are completely way off. If this isn't true, all of those people who've died for their faith are lost. But it doesn't stop there. Paul had an experience with the resurrected Jesus. And it is true. People have died for this. And he goes on to say in verse 22, he says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn... Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. He can't, he, he's the first fruit of the resurrected one. That, that, that Paul saw him, all the disciples saw him, uh, hundreds of Jesus followers saw Jesus after he was resurrected. And, and Paul is saying in those scriptures that, that we were taken out of the dysfunctional system that we were born into with Adam's DNA, that this this bent towards selfishness and sin and destruction. And because of what Jesus has done, we can turn over control of our lives to Jesus. 
We can have the, and when we do that, we have this spiritual heart transplant. Everything about us begins to change. And then we can experience resurrection now, experience Christ's victory now in this life. We're no longer in that old system that Adam had put us in. Jesus was the first fruit of that. Just like the the first fruits are starting to bud on my Japanese plum tree in my backyard. And they taste really strange, but you can eat them. But when when I see them now, I realize, oh, there's gonna be a lot more fruit to come. That's what Jesus was in the ancient world. And on Easter Sunday, the first fruit, and guess what? You and I are the fruit. We have the chance to be the fruit that comes back to life after after what Jesus has done. And this changes everything. Jesus is not the only one who's been resurrected. And we, when we turn over control of our lives, we belong to Jesus. This story tells us that whatever you are up against, Jesus is with you. Whatever life throws at you, whatever circumstances that, that you just feel like are so big for you. Guess what? They are, but you don't have to face them alone. Paul uses the words in Christ. That's this uh, baptism metaphor for the, our own death and our own burial and, and Christ bringing us back to life. When you are in Christ, you belong to him. If you are ready to belong to Jesus, if you realize, oh my goodness, there's... I need help outside of myself. I need to follow Jesus. Let us know about it. If you need prayer or if you're somewhere along that that journey, let us know. Click the button or message us or comment. We would love to be with you along this journey. But there's this this gravity to the resurrection that that starts, it's not only the, the highlight of Israel's story, but also God telling us that everything that's broken under the service, Jesus is putting it back together again at work. We're waiting to the day where it's fully fixed, but right now Jesus is there with us in all the hidden parts of our heart, all of our emotions, all of the broken things that have happened to us. And there's, there's a lot of us that need Jesus to be fixing things underneath the surface. There are people in our online congregation that have faced hard things in the past few months and in the past few years. If that's you today, if you already belong to Jesus and you're going through something hard, this challenges us to not give up hope. I wanna challenge you to worship God in the midst of your storm, in the midst of, of what you're going through. Engage because you need recreation. I probably don't need to tell you that. But Jesus is ready to recreate those things, get the picture of the spirit that hovered over the chaos, over the deep. In your life, Jesus can make all those sad things come untrue. Even if nothing changes about your own circumstances, Jesus can give you an unreasonable peace to get through no matter matter the circumstances. So the moment that changes everything, it did happen. It happened 2,000 years ago, before you and I were ever born. We can access the person who rescued us and the person who is victorious over death itself. My friends, we have nothing to lose in 
in every sense of that phrase. Jesus has won the victory. We have, we literally have nothing to lose and that gives us hope that even if we don't see it in this lifetime, that we won't go through it alone, that Jesus is now ready to, to bring us comfort, to bring us healing, and we can trust that Jesus is, is turning all things to good. So with all that in mind, I wanna just pray for you, no matter what you're going through, that you will sense Jesus um, comforting you, encouraging you, and giving you hope. So if you would please just bow your heads and, pl- and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, would you please help us to know that you're there? God, we thank you for the resurrection. And would you help us to, to, to have that, that thought sink from our heads to our hearts today? For everyone that's struggling with a relationship problem or, or worry or anxiety, would you please rescue us today? For everyone that's struggling with depression or, or wondering where the next paycheck is going to come from, God, will you please be our provider today? Today we reaffirm our faith that you are the God who creates something out of nothing and you are the God who brings the dead back to life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for spending a moment of your Easter with us. Until we're together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. The Lord be gracious to you and turn his face towards you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, amen. Love you. See you next week.